unusual position. We have produced over a thousand pages of documented and footnoted commentary on every verse of the Book of Acts. contains 28 chapters, 1,007 verses, 24,250 words, and according to Bruce Metzger, the normal Greek literary scroll seldom exceeded 35 feet in length. Ancient authors would therefore divide a long literary work into several books, each of which could be accommodated into one scroll. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts would each have filled an ordinary papyrus roll of 31 or 32 feet in length. That's pretty long, isn't it? Yeah. Doubtless, this is one of the reasons why Luke Acts was issued in two volumes instead of one. So we learned that this unique feature of Luke's work allowed us to see connections between the themes in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts that would otherwise have gone unnoticed or underemphasized. Raise your hand if you see Luke acts differently now than you did before we started studying. That's because we understand it to be one work. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are one story that continues the deeds and teachings of Jesus Christ on earth. This occurred first in his personal ministry, as recorded by Luke, and then secondly through his body on earth after the ascension found in Acts. Our second slide tonight is seven progress reports. Our first came from Acts 2, 45 through 47. Second was Acts 6, 7. The third was Acts 9, 31. The fourth was Acts 12, 24. The fifth, Acts 16, verse 5. 
The sixth one was Acts 19, verse 20. And number seven is the last two verses of the book of Acts. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Listen to what it says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Throughout the book of Acts, we noted the seven progress reports that illustrated the advancement of the gospel message, the word of God, and established the kingdom on the earth. Takes us to our next slide, entitled Spirit or Spirit of Jesus, from Acts 16:7. And when they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit us. Wow. Most early manuscripts have the Spirit of Jesus. One early manuscript has the Spirit of the Lord, and later witnesses have Spirit. While the reading Spirit provides the best explanation. For the other variants, it has no early witness. The reading spirit of Jesus, despite its early and consistent witness, is unique to this passage and occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. So one of the things that became clear in our studies was that an inappropriate emphasis on the distinct personages of the Trinity cannot be read into the text. That is, this slide tells you the spirit the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. We would like to have a nice, a nice, neat little package of systematic theology where we can just divide the Godhead, right? But this, everything in the, in that doctrine expresses may be true and beautiful. However, the book of Acts clearly displays the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus himself. Yeah. This allows us to observe Jesus himself Come on. empowering and directing the body of Christ in the fulfillment of of the Great Commission and being with us to the end of the age. Let's take our next slide. The Kingdom of God. In Acts 1, picking up at 2, it says, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the Kingdom of God. And at the end of the book, in Acts 28, picking up in 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts never mentions going to heaven in the sense that modern preaching tends to emphasize. What? Instead, from the beginning to its ending, the book of Acts displays the kingdom of God as something being expanded in and on earth. Come on. So our next slide. Here and not yet here. Luke 10.9. Heal the sick and, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come oh, near to you. Luke 17.20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor would they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Yeah. Luke 19, 11. 
As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Wow. Luke's work throughout both scrolls portrays the kingdom as something that has come near to us and that is presently in the midst of us. However, the book of Acts displays the expansion of this kingdom progressively into new physical regions of the earth as the Great Commission is being fulfilled. This means that the kingdom is here now and yet will be here in a more full way as the body of Christ completes the deeds and teachings of Jesus throughout every region in the world. As we move forward in our study of Acts, we came to this slide. Israel possesses the kingdom. We reviewed Daniel 7, 21 through 22. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. We learned that the kingdom of God is consistently displayed in the Tanakh and in the book of Acts as Jerusalem or Israel-centric. Nothing changed. Jesus is the offspring of King David and the Son of God. The kingdom that he has and is establishing is the kingdom that is promised to Israel. The text of Acts displays the expansion of this kingdom, even to the inclusion of Gentile nations. But the kingdom has always been promised to Israel and remains Israel-centric. They will possess the kingdom. We had seven progress reports in the book of Acts. We also have seven unique occurrences of the phrase, the way. The first is Acts 9-2. The second, Acts 16-17. The third, Acts 18-25-26. The fourth, Acts 19-8-9. The fifth, Acts 19-23. The sixth, Acts 24-22. And we're going to read number seven, Acts 24-14. Let's go. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. The early adherents to the faith were not a new religion. They were considered a sect within Judaism, though. This is because the followers of the way are displayed as the only faithful men to actually obey the way in which Adonai promised to bring about the kingdom on earth for Israel. This way was foretold in the law, prophets, and writings, and did not constitute something new or unforeseen. The followers of the way held the actual and true hope of Israel as the hope for all mankind. This hope is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. In the book of Acts, we also saw an intentional symmetry between Jews and Gentiles. Oh, that's good. And this is as evidence in Peter's ministry as an apostle to the Jews and Paul's ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. For Max 3, Peter healed a man lame from birth. For Max 14, Paul healed a man lame from birth. Oh, yeah. For Max 5, Peter's shadow healed people. For Max 19, pieces of cloth sent by Paul healed people. Wow. Yeah. For Max 5, Peter's success in ministry 
caused Jewish jealousy. From Acts 13, Paul's ministry and his success caused Jewish je jealousy. From Acts 8, Peter dealt with Simon, a sorcerer. From Acts 13, Paul dealt with Bar Jesus, a sorcerer. From Acts 9, Peter raised Dorcas to life. And from Acts 20, Paul raised Eutychus Ooh. to life. Yeah. Wow. So the oh. book of Acts does not detail a transition away from Jews and to Gentiles. Instead, the book of Acts displays the inclusion of Gentiles into the hope of Israel. Yeah. This is demonstrated through the intentional symmetry in the ministry to both Jews and Gentiles. Come on. Yeah. Let's look at our next slide. The way is a title for the walk of obedience that brings about the physical establishment of the kingdom of God on earth with Messiah as the king of Israel and grafted in nations as co-heirs and co-rulers. Wow. Understanding why the early believing community referred to themselves as the way is essential to understanding the modern and errant drift into a different religion. The truth is that faith in Messiah and the resurrection that occurs in him is orthodox and biblical. The apostles and the body of Christ were firmly founded in the biblical hope of Israel and did not intend to be seen as a new religion. Yeah. Yeah. Next slide, the title of the book of Acts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll remember John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Saints, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself, but rather moves to exalt the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And you can see the references that we've been through together. This is how the words of Jesus can be fulfilled. And surely I am with you always yeah. to the very end of the age in Matthew 28. Praise God. Luke was the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the actions of Jesus. The book of Acts is the record of all that Jesus began to do and teach through his body on earth as he fulfilled the Great Commission. Hallelujah. So again, Acts could be called the actions of Jesus through his body on earth as empowered by his spirit. Jesus is the superstar of the book of Acts. Jesus was the clear display of every intention outlined in the Tanakh, and his body continued that display as the expression of biblical Judaism on the earth. Come yes. on. As the book progresses, this hope is extended to include Gentiles with Jews, but never without them. That's why it was so important to teach you this next slide, and we enjoyed this one. We talked about the kingdom being taken. We reviewed Matthew 21, 43, where Jesus said, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. This statement was made to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Where most present day believers get confused is in thinking that this statement refers to taking the kingdom from Israel or from the Jews. That idea we learned is patently false and completely unbiblical. The custodians of the way to the kingdom were being changed from the present Jewish leadership to new Jewish leadership, i.e. to the Jewish apostles. 
Understanding this principle will free you from the most pervasive errors of Gentiles who are attempting to practice biblical faith. Let's look at kingdom transfer. All right. Luke 22, 28. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve foundational apostles are the custodians of the kingdom promised to Israel that now includes Gentiles as well. This should be seen in the light of Jesus as the son of David. David's kingdom also included Gentile men like Ittai. This is a proper perspective on the kingdom message. We also learned about the fire of God as his affirmation. Come on. So God affirmed Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.18. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. Also, the affirmation of the priesthood in Leviticus 9.23. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord. Fire! And consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. Also, on the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 13, 18, 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. King Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And of course, visible affirmation of fire on the 12 apostles as the custodians of the way. From Acts 2, 3, they saw what seemed to be thongs of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So we cannot restate the complexity of that teaching tonight. But each of the 12 apostles were fire validated as the new Jewish custodians of the kingdom. The kingdom was never transferred from Jews to Gentiles, but rather it received a new Jewish leadership that were moved by God to expand the kingdom to include Gentiles. Amen. Let's take our next slide. Seven titles for Messiah in the Tanakh. You can see at the top middle there we have the Acts 3 reference and then the Tanakh reference and on the far left the title. So in Acts 3 and Isaiah 11 he is the Netzer. In Acts 3 and Isaiah 52 he is the Servant. In Acts 3 and Psalm 16 he is the Holy One. In Acts 3 and Acts 53 as well as Jeremiah he is the Righteous One. In Acts 3 and Isaiah 9 he is the Author of Life. In Acts 3 and Psalm 2 he is the Christ. And in Acts 3 and in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and verse 18 as well, he is the, the prophet. When Peter preached to the Jerusalem community following Pentecost, he referred to seven titles of the Messiah from the Tanakh. The righteous one was significant because it was uniquely and unequivocally expressed of divinity. So on that expression of divinity, you'll remember this slide. Names that contain the divine element, Yahweh, 
always use it in abbreviated form, either at the beginning, represented by names such as Joram or Josiah, or at the end, represented by names ending in Ia or Yah. Only when speaking of the Messianic King is the Lord's name written in full, the Lord our righteousness. In a unique way, this King bears the divine name, similar to the angel of the Lord in certain key contexts. The unique name becomes even more significant when we realize that the Lord's full name, the Tetragrammaton YHWH, is equating this king with Yahweh himself. Jeremiah 23 had predicted a descendant of David that would be called by the divine name. The anticipation of this divine messianic figure was referred to as the righteous one. This title is an expression of Jesus as both a descendant of David and the manifestation of Yahweh as righteousness embodied in a man. Peter, Stephen, John, Ananias, and Paul all referred to Jesus in this way. And you can review your notes on Acts 22 to refresh that. After we saw how they referred to Jesus in this way, we came to this slide. Greatly disturbed. <laughs> they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Today, the central issue that most preaching centers around is going to heaven. But this is dramatically inconsistent with the book of Acts. That's true. As we've studied. The book of Acts consistently and repetitively makes the case that biblical preaching focused on the resurrection of the dead that only occurs in Jesus the Messiah. This was not a departure from the biblical hope of Israel, but rather it was a clarifying detail that expresses that this hope will only occur in Jesus. We went through our Deuteronomy 13 inquiry. This is Deuteronomy 13 starting in verse 1. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. This continues in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 13. That wicked men have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, and then the verse carries on. During our time together, you learned that the law required claims of miraculous deeds and revelation to be investigated thoroughly. Both Jesus and the apostles underwent these investigatory probes, and the veracity of their claims were upheld as consistent with the way that was foretold in the Tanakh. The point that we're illustrating is that the claims of Jesus and the apostles did not deviate in any way from the predictions made by the prophets. Oh, uh, and regarding the apostles, we have a slide for you entitled, The Apostles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Follow this train of thought. From Acts 5.12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Acts 5.18, they arrested the apostles. Acts 5.21, sent to jail for the apostles. Acts 5.26, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. Acts 5.27, having brought the apostles. In Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. There's got to be at least three people there. Yep. Acts 5.40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. In Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Hallelujah. So, it is a common mistake to assume that Peter and John were the only apostles that under, underwent this kind of investigatory probe. But a careful reading of the text illustrated that all 12 fire-validated apostles underwent this kind of official probe. Amen. The point is that the 12 foundational apostles all held a tested and proven faith Come on. in what the Tanakh foretold as the true hope of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. The corrupted and rejected leaders of the temple complex were not the only Jewish leaders that experienced problems in the book of Acts. True. The truth is that the apostles and followers of the way had administrative difficulties as well. Remember this slide entitled Acts 6, 5 through 6 in the ESV. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. When difficulties arose in the early believing community, those difficulties were solved together as a community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No group of men in human history are exempt from difficulties that arise from being in a fallen world. It's true. But the early church solved those difficulties as one body working together. Oh, come on. Oh. Our next slide is entitled, The Pathway to Progress. See Acts 6-1 on the screen. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You notice in the middle of the slide, it says conflict and then leaders. <laughs> Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. One of the most beautiful things about the book of Acts is that it details problems. Problems that the early church faced and the resolution to those problems. Each time they solved the issue as a corporate body that possesses a living and active relationship with the spirit of Jesus, well, the results of the events caused even large numbers of priests to become obedient to the faith. Which brings us to our next slide. Jesus said... Stephen said. Jesus said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen said in Acts, 6, uh, Acts 7, 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus said in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen said in Acts 7, 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. One of the most triumphant details in the book of Acts 
is the continual portrayal of ordinary men that continued the deeds, the actions and teachings of Jesus. The martyr Stephen was not one of the original 12, and yet his actions and teachings are a manifestation of the continuation of Jesus' deeds and teachings on earth after the ascension. This is how the kingdom of God advances in real and tangible ways on earth. Come on. The death of Stephen and the progression of chapters and acts show the way that the kingdom advanced on the earth. Remember this slide. This is Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9, verse 1 on the left. I want to direct your attention to the right side of the screen. Acts 8, verse 1 begins with, and Saul. Then in between Acts 8, 1 and Acts 9, 1, we have the inclusion of Samaritan Jews. We also have the inclusion of an Ethiopian Jew. And then Acts 9, 1 begins with, meanwhile, Saul. So an ordinary man like Stephen, displaying the deeds and teachings of Jesus, led to extraordinary opposition. That opposition only caused new opportunities to see disparate groupings of Jews become united in the expansion of the kingdom. We also learned about being scattered. The Greek word, which I'll pronounce, is paresan. Yes. Yes. To sow, to scatter. To sow here and there, or to scatter as seed. Acts teaches us that when followers of the way were allowed to experience dispersion, it was intentional, like a farmer sowing seed. Come on. It could be like LCM being persecuted and having one team being scattered this way, the other one that way. And we all believing that it is the Father that's planting us and not just simply scattering us. This triumphant attitude in the face of death is the only way that this world will experience revolution from death to life in the kingdom of God that is being established on earth. Amen. Look at our next slide. Aeneas spreading testimony. Peter traveled about the country and the miracle occurred in Lydda. The testimony of Aeneas spread throughout Lydda and the plain of Sharon. The plain of Sharon extends all the way to Caesarea, where Acts 10 takes place. This is also Philip's last known location and where he is found to be living in Acts 21. The reason we're showing you this slide again is that the transformation of Saul in Acts 9 usually overshadows these events in the minds of modern readers. However, the example of Peter is one of collaboration and overlap with other men of God like Philip, who served to lay the groundwork of the gospel message in these areas. Peter built upon this groundwork by administering the baptism of the Holy Spirit, performing supernatural healing, and raising the dead. Come on. Paul would later build further on top of the work of these that these men had begun. From the beginning to the ending of Acts, the body of Christ is working together, say together, together, to expand the kingdom into every region of the world. Jesus is the only superstar in the book. Well, that brings us to Simon the Tanner's house. Traveling west, Peter made his way to Lydda, just out of the hill country of Judea, then all the way to Joppa on the sea, healing the sick, and raising the dead as he went. Exhibit in Acts 9, 32 through 42. News about Jesus spread up and down the coast. A Hellenized land, 
that was the gateway of the uttermost parts hmm. of the earth. Here, Peter was far out of his comfort zone. Understandably so. And so visited, quite naturally, cities with sizable Jewish populations. His base of operations was the home of another man named Simon, a tanner who lived at the edge of Joppa by the sea, and who was also a Jewish believer in Jesus. Leatherworking, though a necessary trade, was a nasty, smelly business, Stinky. and its practitioners considered unclean by Jewish law and were generally despised by those who were religiously observant. By staying with Simon the Tanner, Peter was pushing his security envelope just about as far as it could go. Not only does the Book of Acts display a collaborative effort between every follower of the way, it also displays that every detail worked collectively to achieve the greater purpose of God in the expansion of the kingdom. So consider the progression of the chapters on this next slide. Shem's tent with all three brothers. Oh, yeah. Man, what a good teaching that was. Yeah. We saw Ham represented in Acts 8, 27. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Then we saw Shem represented in Acts 9, verse 4 through 6. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And lastly, but not least, we saw Japheth represented in Acts 10, verse 1 through 3. Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the... Italian regiment. There it is. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Every member and every detail in the book of Acts is aimed at bringing the kingdom of God that was promised to Israel to all men. Come on. This is the fulfillment of Ham, Shem, and Japheth coming into a singular tent that is Shem's tent. Not unlawful, just taboo. Peter in verse 28, striking what seems to be a stern note, advises the assembled group that it was taboo for a Jew to associate with or visit a foreigner. That is if he or she wished to remain a clean Jew in good standing. The Greek word here could be translated unlawful, but it probably has its weaker sense of taboo or strongly frowned upon. There was no formal law that strictly forbade Jews from associating with Gentiles. It was just that they had to be prepared to pay a price for doing so, the price being becoming ritually unclean. Texts written by Roman authors such as Juvenal and Tacitus show that Jesus did regularly refuse to associate with Gentiles. Jews did. Jews did, and were objects of suspicion because of their antisocial behavior. The expansion of the kingdom never rewrote or defied the law of God. However... Many of the social taboos or fences that sinful men erected 
did have to be kicked down. Come on. The breaking down of non-scriptural taboos is the beginning of opening the kingdom to men of every nation. Hallelujah! Come on. One of the most beautiful things that we learned about is the way that Acts shows a complete witness to men from other nations. That witness is summarized in Peter's words to Cornelius. Look at this complete witness oh, yeah. involving Father, Son, Holy Spirit, body of Messiah. So starting verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God, that is God the Father, does not show favoritism. Then, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, that is the Son, who is Lord of all. Then, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him here, witnessing about the Holy Spirit. And then we are witnesses of everything he did in the country, country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. We are witnesses is the body of Messiah. So notice that even when speaking with an Italian centurion, Come on. the witness begins with the God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel. And then the Holy Spirit empowerment within Israel. And then the body of Messiah comprised of Jews and now expanded, expanded to Gentile God-fearers like Cornelius himself. So one of the more shocking things in the book of Acts is that Gentiles received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in exactly, say exactly, exactly, exactly the same way as the Jerusalem community did in the beginning. Wow. Look at our next slide. Normative experience for believers. Yeah. Acts 10, picking up in 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Nope. How about Acts 11 picking up in 15? Yeah. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So during the evening that we taught this material... A visiting Baptist pastor was baptized in the Holy Spirit Hallelujah. with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's no reason to go back through that teaching at this point, except to say that from the beginning of Acts to its ending, the normative experience for all believers all. is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of supernaturally empowered gifting. Amen. Somebody say, all, all believers. believers. When we say that every member and every detail in Acts serves to expand the kingdom of God in one collaborative effort, we mean it. Consider this chapter progression. You see in our box, two paths are happening concurrently to arrive at Jerusalem in the same chapter. Beginning with Acts 8 and the Stephen event. Then we saw Sumerian and Ethiopian Jews. Then in Acts 9, the Saul event, and then Peter's miracles. Then in Acts 10, we have the Cornelius event. Then, reaching in Acts 11, the two stories coincide in Jerusalem. The progression of events and the lives of different men all worked together for the decision to recognize the establishment of the first community outside the borders of Israel in Antioch. 
this monumental step was not the establishment of a new kind of faith, but rather a movement to expand the kingdom through the inclusion of men from other nations into the faith of Israel. Like all new steps, this one brought with it significant challenges. Like what we see on our next slide, the difference between Christians or followers of the way. The term Christian is a name given to the disciples or followers of Christ first adopted at Antioch. It does not occur in the New Testament as a name commonly used by Christians themselves. The believers first became known as Christians as an appellation of ridicule. So we learn that the believing community had always been known as followers of the way that the kingdom would be established on earth and possessed by Israel. However, as the kingdom message moved outside the borders of Israel, Gentile pagans began referring to members of the movement as Christians. This subtle change may have been the beginning departure from the understanding of an Israel-centric and kingdom-oriented message. Now the Jewish faith was being defined with Greek terms Whoa. as an appellation of ridicule. Oh, Additionally, non-Jewish members were now representing the historic hope of Israel. Wow. This situation played out over centuries until the centrality of Israel was either removed or redefined. The book of Acts maintains a kingdom promised to Israel that will be possessed by Israel and expand to include men from other nations. Yeah. And no new term can change that. Amen. These events were also happening contemporaneously with the execution of Jewish apostles like James. You guys ready for this next slide? Yes. Josephus on the death of Herod the Great. We had to at least <laughs> one more time. We had yeah. to do it. Yeah. But now, Herod's distemper greatly increased upon him after a severe manner. And this by God's judgment upon him for his sins. Somebody say amen. amen. For a fire glowed in him slowly, which did not so much appear to the touch outwardly, as it augmented his pains inwardly. For it brought upon him a vehement appetite to eating, which he could not avoid to supply with one sort of food or other. His entrails were also exulcerated. And the chief violence of his pain lay on his colon. Jesus. An aqueous and transparent liquor also had settled itself about his feet. And a like matter afflicted him at the bottom of his belly. Nay, further, his privy member was putrefied. difficulty of breathing, yeah, of course. which was very loathsome, I'm sure, on account of the stench of his breath and the quickness of its returns. He had also convulsions in all parts of his body, which increased his strength to an insufferable degree. It was said by those who pretended to divine, and who were endued with wisdom to foretell such things that God inflicted this punishment on the king on account of his great impiety. Wow. Oh my gosh. A latter Herod, 
killed James and also received praise for his oratory abilities that presumed him to be a god. An angel of the Lord struck him dead for this. But needless to say, the early community lost one of its foundational Jewish apostles during the season of expansion into Gentile regions. Yeah. This presented a problem for the followers of the way that was and can only be overcome by every member of the body of Christ continuing in the deeds and the teachings of Christ Come himself. On. Come on, say every member. Every, every member. member. After that putrefied image we just saw, we learned about the similarities between <laughs> Jesus and Peter. Jesus, from Luke 23, he faced a Herodian ruler named Antipas. Peter, in Acts 12, he faced a Herodian ruler named Agrippa I. Jesus, in Luke 22, he was arrested during the Feast of Passover or Unleavened Bread. Peter was arrested during the Feast of Passover or Unleavened Bread. In Luke 22, uh, an appearance of an angel at Gethsemane came to strengthen Jesus. In Acts 12, the appearance of an angel came to free Peter. Come on. In Acts 22, you, Jesus faced arrest, trial, and ultimate execution. But in Acts 12, Jesus, uh, Peter faced arrest, trial, and intended execution. They tried. They, yeah, they, they tried. Yeah. Luke 24, it's a call to Jesus to rise from the chain, chains of death. Hallelujah. In Acts 12, Peter was called to, to rise from the iron chain. In Luke 24, women were the first to witness Jesus alive. In Acts 12, a woman, Rhoda, is the first to witness Peter alive. In Luke 24, the disbelief of other disciples was there who did not believe the women. In Acts 12, there was disbelief of other disciples who did not believe the woman. Luke 24, there's the assumption that Jesus is not alive, but is a spirit. In Acts 12, there's the assumption that Peter is not alive, but it is his angel. These are all striking similarities. Acts has placed every member of the body of Christ walking in the manner of Christ. Yes. This means that their deeds and teachings were a continuation of the deeds and teachings of Christ. This continuation was not limited to a professional class of clergy. Amen. I mean, Peter was unschooled and ordinary. Yep. Instead, the continuation was the work and goal of every member of Jesus' body on earth. As we progress through the book of Acts, we came to this next slide. You guys will remember this one. Yeah. One, the priority of ministry. This is the body performing the deeds and teachings of Jesus. Number two, power of ministry. This is the spirit of Jesus empowering you to carry out his will on earth. The third, progress of ministry. The outward focus and, ex and expansion of the kingdom of God selflessly. The fourth, the people of ministry. Every member of the body ministering as Christ. And the fifth and final, the purpose of ministry. This is the gospel for the whole world. The, the gospel for the whole world begins and ends at the throne of God in Jerusalem. Amen. Now, we, of course, cannot go back through the teaching on this subject, except to say that the book of Acts contains numerous examples of ordinary men who followed this pattern. In fact, the emphasis seems to be on men other than the original 12, yeah. precisely to encourage this pattern in the body at large. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything done by a particular leader 
was to set an example of the continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus so that each of us would continue them. Yeah. Let's consider that in our session on Acts 9. The extent to which Peter is being held up like the greatest of Israel's prophets in Acts 9 is usually diminished by people's fascination with the popularity of the Apostle Paul in our time. Mm. Anyone reading this story would have marveled at the description of Peter in the same light as the mightiest of all Israel's prophets. Yeah. Moreover, they would likely recall the discipleship relationship with Elijah and Elisha, and then the discipleship relationship between Jesus and Peter. This would greatly magnify the importance of true biblical discipleship in the minds of everyone encountering this amazing story. So in review, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and Peter all entered into a room and restricted access to others before performing a miracle. Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and Peter were all summoned from a distance to help a person that was already dead. Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and Peter all entered the room with the dead body and resurrected the person to the rejoicing or astonishment of others. Look, the point here is that through the process of discipleship, the deeds and teachings of Jesus are continued in the expansion of the kingdom. This should be true in the life of every believer. Our modern tendency to think of these things as the domain of a singular leader are errant and destructive to the goal of the book of Acts. That's right. On that note, take a look at this next slide. In the Newer Testament and in the book of Acts, leaders are always portrayed in the plural. More than that, they serve as an example of the continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus that are the objective of every believer. The book of Acts is a call to action for every follower of Jesus to advance the kingdom on earth. As this process began to involve more and more men from the surrounding nations, difficulties and controversies arose. Notice the way that those controversies were overcome. The observable process of Acts chapter 15. A controversial issue arose in Antioch. The community there appointed a plurality of men to represent their concerns. Come on. The delegation was sent to Jerusalem. Now the whole community in Jerusalem, the church, the apostles, and the elders, listened to these reports. Suggestions were received from members of the church body. The apostles and elders then met to consider the question. Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James all issued their opinions based on their experiences and the word. When the leaders were in unity, then the larger community was addressed. Action was taken with the apostles and elders, with the whole church acting in unity, and they sent a plurality of men to carry it out. The real errors in church history began with the cessation of this process. It's true. One of the reasons that we have returned to the Tanakh, Hebraic roots, and the plurality of leaders is that they are essential to solving the crisis of our time. As always, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will direct our actions into His will and kingdom objectives. Yes, it will. This slide is entitled, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, God. God. From Acts 16, verse 6, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia. Come on. Then in verse 7, 
when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Then concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It was surprising to most of you to realize that the Holy Spirit did not authorize a random spreading of the kingdom message. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but rather directed his body in a precise fashion. Hallelujah! The Spirit of Jesus is fulfilling the Great Commission in a divine and prescribed manner. Our job is to go is to go where he tells us to and to do what he tells us to. Even the apostles struggle to determine these kinds of things. However, through the process of trial and error, they always arrive at their mission objectives, and so will we. Come on. Another thing you learned from the book of Acts was the cost of seeing a vision fulfilled. Oh, this is good. There was a dispute about circumcision in Antioch, which led Paul and Barnabas to be sent to Jerusalem. They were then sent back to Antioch with Silas and Judas, along with a letter to the churches in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. After taking the letter to Antioch, the church in Antioch commissioned them to take it to the other churches that they had visited before. This also involved a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. The team wanted to go to Asia and Bithynia, but they couldn't. Yep. So they kept going in the only path they could, and that is forward. They got to Troas, where they stopped, because that was the coast of Asia. But, in Adonai's sovereignty, they received a dream about the Macedonian man. They worked as a team and concluded that they needed to cross over to Macedonia. They then met a woman called Lydia, who was from the province of Asia. Not Macedonia. Yeah. Who believed? <laughs> this wasn't the Macedonian man, but praise God. Yeah. Once in Philippi, after becoming so annoyed, Paul cast the spirit out of the slave girl. This caused Paul and Silas to be beaten and then put in prison. Oh, wow. It was while in prison wow. that they met the Macedonian man. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just like they expected. But it would only be through their joyful expression of faith in the sovereignty of God. Come on. And after an earthquake, that Macedonian man would then believe. Come on. So neither Paul, Timothy, or Silas were in the original 12 apostles. It's true. However, the record of Acts displays that they were led into the miraculous expansion of the kingdom gospel in new regions of the world for the glory of God. Amen. This process was always difficult and full of unseen events. In every case, they continued the deeds and teachings of Jesus in each new region that they visited. So let's examine the catalyst events. The death of Stephen, recorded in Acts 11, 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Hallelujah. Then the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, 23. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Then... 
the vision of a Macedonian man in Acts 16.6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. But the Spirit of Jesus were not allowed them to. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Saints, the largest catalyst in the advancement of the kingdom, they arose out of difficulty or controversial matters. This lesson is instructive for us as we attempt to reverse the road from Jerusalem to Rome in our time. Amen. Which brings us to our next slide. Guilty as charged. In Acts 17.6, we read, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Yeah, we have. Guilty as charged. The next verse reads, And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. As followers of the way entered into new regions, they were often accused of things that should be seen as compliments. The message of the kingdom is one of revolution, and it is meant to dislodge the usurping present authorities from their positions so that the Jewish Messiah's kingdom will truly reign over the entire globe. Hallelujah. Those who believed in Berea said many of the Jews believed. Yeah a number of prominent Greek women, and many Greek men. There's no such thing as a time period where Gentiles were favored over the Jewish people. Instead, the gospel of the kingdom has always been for the Jew first, and then the Gentiles. However, as the kingdom advanced into increasingly Greek areas, the response meant that the Jewish followers of the way were accompanied by an ever-increasing number of Gentile believers. This is not because Adonai is done with Israel. On the contrary, what started in Israel will again conclude in Israel after every nation on earth is represented in the kingdom promised to Israel. This This takes us to Paul's discourse, which was not random. Started with creation, was followed by fall, then redemption, and then restoration. So when Paul entered the intellectual capital of the world called Athens, his basic themes were those laid out in the Tanakh: the creation of man in the, ori- in the original image of God, the fall of man from his divine purpose, the redemption of man, and the restoration of mankind, mankind's purpose in the image of God. These things can only be found in the righteous one who will reign over the whole earth that Jerusalem is the capital of. We taught you these things in ministry training and it would be advantageous for you to constantly review them because they work in any setting in the world. Now let's take our next slide. Those who believe in Athens. (laughs) Well, there was a few men, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, believed. A woman named Damaris believed. A number of others believed. The true gospel of the kingdom will be believed by men of every nation on earth. Amen. Including the 
the secular and intellectual capital. Yeah. Not Houston. However, the reception, I'm just kidding. However, the reception outside of the synagogues and God-fearing Gentiles is often muted and requires constant and diligent efforts precisely because of the lack of foundation in the Tanakh. The answer to this problem is not to invent a new Gentile version of the gospel, but rather to preach the foundational gospel of the kingdom and the Jewish Messiah who enables Israel to possess it. That brings us to expansion efforts have reached. Cyprus, twice. Basidian Antioch, four times. Mm. Iconium, four times. Lystra, four times. Derby, three times. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Guys, the participants in these journeys were Barnabas, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. The book of Acts reveals the furthest thing from YouTube street evangelism. Oh, yeah. The truth is that many ministers revisited constantly and renewed the fledgling followers of the way in every city that they went to. This kind of development and discipleship is the only way to continue the deeds and teachings of Jesus through every generation and throughout every region in the world. In fact, this material caused us to look at information on our next slide. The marks of a minister. The first mark is willingly working hard while ministering for the glory of the gospel. The second mark is working to support your brother's calling. The third mark of a minister is fulfilling your duty to the point of innocence. The fourth mark of a minister is standing despite growing opposition. The fifth mark, complete dependency on the sovereignty of God. The sixth mark, strengthening the disciples with intention Come on. and at risk to yourself. Wow. Means losing sleep and more. The seventh mark, adding adequacy and strength to other ministers. And the eighth mark is ministering as husband and wife while in participation while in partnership and participation with other families. These marks of a minister were each derived from the text of Acts 18 and 19. They are a continuation of the very deeds and teachings of Jesus that the earliest followers of the way displayed. This is the work we must dedicate our lives to. Come on. And this is the work we are going to dedicate yes. our lives to. Amen. The theater of warfare. Number one, brotherly development. Two, interfamily conflict. Three, competing ideas. Four, rival principalities. Five, radical repentance. Amen. Six, spiritual direction. And seven, equally valid concurrent missions. May it be, Lord. Acts 19 showed us seven theaters of warfare that must be engaged in. Yes. Those who went before us entered into each of these arenas and prevailed. Yep. Amen. The same spirit of Jesus that empowered them to have the courage and tenacity to do this is in us. Amen. Amen. We too must engage in every one of these arenas if we are to be a continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus. Amen. That brings us to the host of fellow workers who labored alongside the men 
who went before us. Yes. This lad is entitled the host of fellow workers. Paul was not a lone ranger. He had a host of fellow workers. Romans 16.3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Romans 16.9, greet Urbanus, yeah. our fellow worker in Christ. Yeah. Romans 16.21, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends greetings to you. 2 Corinthians 8.23, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus, yeah. my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Let's go. Philippians 4.3, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Colossians 4.10, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, we send Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker. Philemon 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Philemon 23-24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. Come on. Man, he was not lacking fellow workers. You should remember that Jesus is the only superstar in the book of Acts. Ministry was never intended to be accomplished by a select it's true. The opposite is displayed in the record of Acts and the corresponding epistles. The body of Christ is a living continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus through every member, and every member must participate in those activities. This is what it means to be a follower of the way. Amen. Amen. Let's look at accusations that are compliments. Yeah. yeah. This will be fun. Paul has led people astray from Artemis in yeah. Ephesus. Yeah. 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 Paul has led people astray from Artemis and practically the whole province of Asia. Yeah. Paul says that man-made gods are no gods at all. That's right. Paul has placed the idol-making trade in jeopardy. Yeah. Paul is causing the idol-making trade to lose its good name. What good name? Paul is causing the temple of Artemis to be discredited. Yeah. And Paul is causing the goddess herself to be robbed of her divine majesty. These were the accusations leveled against Paul and his co-workers in Ephesus. And they are representative of the kinds of things that people should be saying about you, church. The truth is that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in these ways. Well, in light of that thought, let's re-engage with the theater of warfare. The theater of warfare, one being brotherly development. Are you developing your brothers? Oh, yeah. Number two, interfamily conflict. Are you drawing appropriate lines as God does? Three, competing ideas. Are you standing on the word of God alone? Four, Rival principalities. Are you displaying victory over darkness at every turn? Five, radical repentance. Are you leading the way in radical repentance? Six, spiritual direction. Are you being given greater insight into your calling? Seven, equally valid concurrent missions. Are you helping to raise up a host of men? that are on equally valid and concurrent missions with your own. Yeah. 
The examples set before us in the book of Acts are not isolated and unattainable objectives. They are what every person in this room is called to engage in to advance the kingdom of God on earth. That's a good word. When Paul stood before the Ephesian elders, who were in fact ordinary men, not known to hold special apostolic functions, we summarized his example in this way. This is the example before us. Firstly, a faithful witness to the whole counsel of the word. Secondly, he was a faithful example of a loving shepherd who sheds tears in equipping the brothers. And thirdly, he was a faithful example of a courageous martyr who willingly participates in the sufferings of Christ. This is more than an example, though. Oh, yeah. This is an exhortation to continue the deeds and teachings of Christ Come on. in this way. Yeah. The nation of Israel is called to be a priestly nation to the world. That is the function that you have become a co-heir with Israel in. Yeah. There is no such thing as a genuine believer that does not have a calling to this higher priesthood. Here are the attributes of our higher priesthood. Come on. Firstly, blessed by Abraham, Galatians 3.14. Second, a king of righteousness, Revelation 17.14. Third, a king of peace, Matthew 5.9. Four, without father or mother, eternally birthed, John 1.13. Five, without ending of days, 1 John 2.17. Six, in the likeness of the Son of God. 1 John 3, 2. Come on. And 7, a forever priest. Oh, Revelation 20, verse 6. Since we have studied these things together at length, it should be clear to you that everything the book of Hebrews says about Jesus is also true of you. Perhaps now is the time that you will engage in the attributes of the higher priesthood that each of you have been called to. Amen. There is a persistent and prevalent perception that the mission of the church is different than the calling of Israel. False. This yeah. is largely because Gentile believers have not understood the very thing that they have been grafted into. Unfortunately, this has caused unbelieving Jews to labor under misconceptions that are reinforced by our own misrepresentation. Well, we have learned about representing God right in this church, huh? Yeah. Yes. They are the same things that Paul was falsely accused of. These were the three initial accusations. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people. However, in Romans 9.3, Paul expresses the truth. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut out from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. The second accusation. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our law. However, Paul stated in Romans 7, 12, so, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The third accusation was, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against his place, that place being the temple. In Acts 24, Paul states, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and men. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified where? In the temple, without any crowd or tumult. We are, of course, concerned about the fact that many Israelis still labor 
under these falsehoods. But we are even more concerned that many Gentile Graftans reinforce these falsehood, falsehoods because they don't understand the essential nature of Israel as the possessor of the kingdom of God. Our hope is that we have set you on a course of action to correct this problem. After all, it is your job to be a living continuation of the deeds and teachings of the Jewish Messiah. Come on. Let's take our next slide. Similarities between Jesus and Paul. Yeah. The first one, journeys towards death began with the plot of the Jews. The second, unclean things that did not make them unclean, was handed over to the Gentiles. They both had a threefold prediction of the sufferings ahead. A willingness to die with a steadily, stately, statedly resolute disposition. Both were numbered with transgressors. And both Jesus and Paul had men say of them, away with him. Through our studies in Acts, you observed Peter's similarities with Jesus. You observed Stephen's similarities with Jesus. Finally, you observed Paul's similarities with Jesus. Every person in this room should have observable similarities with Jesus. Amen. This is the method that will expand the kingdom into all the earth. That brings us to the hope. Acts 4.2. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. Acts 23.6. It is respe with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Acts 23.11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. One of the most glaring signs that Gentile believers do not understand what we've been grafted into is the improper emphasis on just going to heaven. Mm -hmm. The record of Acts displays the biblical hope of eternal life on earth. Amen. This hope of Israel and those grafted into Israel is only achieved by living in Jesus as members of his body. Yeah. For each of us to be a continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus, we will each need to be in continual communion with him. Yeah. A one-time encounter when you were eight years old simply is not sufficient to live in and complete the work that is before us. You're right. yeah. Speaking of continual communion, let's look at four encounters with Jesus. Yeah, right. In Acts 9, we saw Paul's initial encounter with Jesus. Then in Acts 22, we saw it recording Paul having a vision at the temple. In Acts 18, we saw that Paul had a vision at Corinth. And in Acts 23, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul was not a man that just had a one and done experience with the Lord. So true. He repeatedly had encounters with him throughout his entire life. Each of us must seek continual communion with the Lord to be able to complete our testimony. This lifestyle will speak a clearer and louder message than any single sermon that you are allowed to speak. Paul's creed, worship, believe, hope. I worship, somebody say worship. 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 I worship God as one 
who has been called out of slavery to sin and the corrupt religious system, just like our fathers were called out of Egypt and into the way of Adonai. I believe. Somebody say believe. I believe. I believe in the word of God, just as Father Abraham did. This has resulted in credited righteousness and a covenant from God. A covenant that God will be faithful to bring to its ultimate completion, even in man's inadequacy. I have hope. Somebody say hope. Hope. I have hope in the return of Messiah, who will raise the righteous to reign with him at the beginning of the thousand years, and who will raise the wicked for destruction at the end of the thousand years. Does your creed rest on these same principles? They are each thoroughly grounded in the Tanakh and are the biblical expression of the believer's lifestyle. We pray that our time together in Acts has strengthened your resolve in order to better understand and implement these points of creed in your daily actions. In the latter portion of Acts, we found Paul's final leg of the journey towards Rome. We notice that the original transformative event in Paul's life lent to a slightly different perception of the ordering of events in his calling and life. This slide is entitled Perceiving Direction, Chosen to Carry My Name Before Gentiles, Kings, and the Children of Israel. From Acts 9.15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was martyred in Rome, and that could not have been known to him during the Acts 9 transformative event. This should encourage each of you to hold the ordering of your own steps in an open hand. So good! Each of us should focus on being a living continuation of the deeds and teachings of Messiah, Far more than precisely knowing the order of our steps. Come on. on. It is our hope that this revelation will cause you to bloom where you are planted. That's a good word. Rather than waiting for some future step to live as Christ in the here and now. So the title of our next slide is A Perfect Apologia. Let's work through these. The first one. Acts 4, Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin. Acts 5, the apostles stood before the Sanhedrin. Acts 6, Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin. Acts 22, Paul stood on the steps of the Antonia Fortress before the crowd of people. And Acts 23, Paul stood before the council members of the Sanhedrin. Acts 24, Paul stood before most excellent Felix. And in Acts 26, Paul stood before King Agrippa and Portius Festus. Come on. While the events and ordering of events and acts may not have been fully known to each participant, it is clear that they formed a perfect representation of the faith before a hostile world. They did. Perhaps if you give yourself over to the divine drift of the Spirit of God, you will find that your life begins to form a perfect apologia as well. Our King knows what he's doing with our with your life Amen. and the events within your life. Amen. Trusting in his sovereignty will produce a witness that exceeds your plan. Hallelujah. 
What Pastor just said, isn't that what we learned in Acts 27 and 28? Yeah. Yes. Take a look at this slide. It was a map that you learned. Paul could not have known that a mission objective awaited him on Malta. I had no idea. Similarly, you have mission objectives that you are not yet aware of. Yes. Our hope is that you will make it your ambition to see resistance, mistakes, and obstacles yeah. as instruments in the divine hand of Adonai oh, yeah. Come on. that are used to steer you into things your eyes have not yet perceived, mm -hmm. but that are a heavenly reality God is bringing to the earth. Yeah. So in order to continue the deeds <coughs> and teachings of Christ on earth, it will be necessary to walk in actual biblical faith. Yeah. Sure. Perhaps you will remember this slide. We learned about Hebrews 11.1, 1, Amplified. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality, which is faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Clearly, biblical faith has to do with the proof of things that we cannot perceive with our natural senses, and yet we receive it as real fact. Oh, yeah. The book of Acts compels you towards a far deeper faith than what is commonly discussed in modern Gentile circles. Just believe in this. Just believe in this. We are going to remind you of three important Greek words to help you embrace true biblical faith. Each of these words is found within Hebrews 11.1. 1. Our first is hypostasis, to place or set under, or what really exists under any appearance. Faith has to do with the perception and reliance upon what really exists under any appearance. Come on. There's a whole reality and divine dimension, and it is not somewhere else called heaven. The reality of the kingdom is here, and it is now. Amen. It is the realm that underlies our very existence. In fact, it is the realm from which everything that you see has been created. Faith must embrace what really exists about every situation through heaven's eyes and not your own. Our second word is electros. The manifestation of truth of that charge and the results to be reaped. Faith has to do with the perception and reliance upon what really exists under any appearance. And this reliance is considered to be the manifestation of the truth. Just as if it had been tried in a court and the verdict has been rendered. Biblical faith not only perceives the heavenly reality in a situation, but also treats that perception as tried and true fact. Come on. Let's look at our third word. Pragma. To do, perform, <coughs> a thing done, or to be done. The major difference between the way that people commonly understand faith and its actual description in the Bible is the difference between believing something and doing something. Amen. Most people's faith could be described as believing there is a heaven and a hell. Oh my. They also believe that Jesus died and rose again. Those things are certainly true, but they are not the things Hebrews 11 is referring to. Wow. 
The word for things in Hebrews 11 is pragma. And in this verse, it refers to the actions you must oh. perform. Oh, wow. The faith being described starts with perceiving the heavenly reality that exists underneath your present situation. Then that same faith moves to treat the heavenly perception as a tried and true fact. Mm -hmm. And finally, actual biblical faith is present and displayed through knowing what heaven wants you to do or perform. Yeah. And then doing it. Yeah. Amen. Biblical faith is not in places, things, or objects. Biblical faith is trust-grounded obedience expressed in deeds that must be performed because you know the will of your Father. Amen. During our last session, we identified some hindrances to the expression of biblical faith. We did. You have now had a week to think about them. Let's review the kinds of things that may be keeping you from expressing genuine faith in your lives. Amen. Beginning with anchor number one. Anchors of the fear of making a mistake. Thanks, we asked you, do you really think that your mistakes are bigger than your God? No. Is your faith in him so small and your confidence in your inadequacy so large that you're really going to let that anchor dig into the earth and prevent your divine drift into his will? If you do that, what will you say in eternity? I'm sorry, I was just, I was a pusillanimous person. Anchor number two was the anchor of self-preservation. Do you really think that you can keep all of your ship and save yourself? No. Wouldn't it be better to lose everything by giving it away than to lose your own soul? Yeah. Yes. Is your faith in him so small and your desire for security so large that wow. you will not risk anything for the glory and honor of your king? Dropping the anchor of self-preservation into the earthly thinking and tendencies of lost men has shipwrecked the faith of many men. However, discovering and destroying this anchor has set many men free Hallelujah. to drift in the divine until they found extraordinary and supernatural life. Anchor number three. Anchors of entitlement. Do you feel like you have given everything before and now you're entitled to keep what you have? You might do well to remember that Paul was in at least three shipwrecks, yeah. according to 2 Corinthians 11.25. Who told you that giving once was the same as giving all at all times? Wow. By the way, if you gave all and you sit here and you've got clothes on your body and food in your belly... How did that happen except that he provided for you? Is your faith so small, your sense of entitlement so big, that you're going to avoid walking in the trust that has brought you this far? The anchors of entitlement have been the ruination of many powerful Christians through the centuries. However... The discovery and destruction of this anchor has rejuvenated the zeal of many yes. Christians through the millennia, allowing them to re-enter the divine drift that they had forsaken without even noticing. We had four anchors, and this is our fourth one. 
the anchors of future endeavors. Come on. Do you know that you are called to a future work and just can't see risking your future endeavors for another minister's need today? Wow. Isn't the very attitude of Jesus described by Paul in Philippians 2 as not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others? Yes. Is your faith so small and your idolatrous work so big in your own mind that you believe that you endanger your ministry by sacrificing for your brother that Jesus died for? The anchors of future plans have been the stagnation of many men through the centuries. But the sacrifice of all for another has also stirred many others in the spirit of Christ, who determines the ordering of all men's footsteps. Yeah. The discovery and destruction of this anchor may be the very thing that propels the endeavors you actually hope to perform. The men that we studied in the book of Acts cut these anchors away from their own lives. Yeah, they, they were a living continuation of the deeds and teachings of Jesus. The effects of their work changed the world in unimaginable ways. Consider the number of places that the Newer Testament records that the kingdom message went and was received in only 30 years. We plotted them on a map for you. What will the next 30 years of this community bring to the world if we choose to cut our anchors and become living continuations of the deeds and teachings of our Jewish king? Saints, we're about to move to a time of intercession. But finally, we have our last slide. We want to remind you that we are not saying the two scrolls of Luke and Acts were an exhibit used in Paul's trial before Nero. <laughs> not saying that. But we aren't saying that they were not used either. You may remember that Luke portrays agents of Rome in an unusually favorable way throughout both scrolls. Here's a slide that might make a man wonder after going through Acts. Two centurions plus Julius. You notice the Luke 7 and Acts 10 centurion. Luke 7 had a concern for a servant. Acts 10 had concern for the poor. Luke 7 reached out to Jews for help. Acts 10 reached out to Jews for help. Luke 7 was highly regarded by the Jews. Acts 10 was highly regarded by Jews. Luke 7 was charitable towards Israel. Acts 10 was charitable towards Israel. Luke 7 did not feel worthy to have Jesus under his roof. Acts 10 was shown to be worthy to have Peter under his roof. Luke 7 was a man of great faith. Yeah. Acts 10 was a man of great faith. Then we had our agent of Nero, Julius the Centurion. He had concern for Paul's needs. He listened to Paul while on the ship, and he wanted to spare Paul's life. Who knows? But perhaps the secondary motive in writing Luke Acts to Most Excellent Theophilus, a title of address to a governmental official, was to provide a subtle hint that a king and a kingdom had now arrived on earth. Come on. And better yet, other Romans were already realizing it yeah. and receptive to that kingdom. Amen. Maybe, perhaps, Acts is even a warning that killing a man like Paul would only serve to advance the existing revolution yeah. that was already underway like every other tragedy had yeah. because the gospel will move. 
forward. Brothers, this is your call to action. We've gone through 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And after going through those chapters, we must not be a people that becomes guilty of studying the book of Acts without participating in the book of Acts. We've had the benefit of seeing men who are not part of the 12 and men that were part of the 12 continue the deeds and teachings of Jesus Christ on earth. We have seen witnesses of men, ordinary men like us, reflect Jesus to the point where they're actually doing the same thing that he did. We've gotten to see the we've gotten the benefit of seeing men who didn't know every step of the journey. They knew that they were called to an eventual landing place, but they didn't know every step. And they drifted in the divine spirit of God along the way. We saw men that as a result of their work, opposition grew at every turn. Our prayer is that we start today in the effort to advance the kingdom of God boldly and without hindrance. We must participate in what we've studied since January. This is our call to action. So Saints, since January, we've been engaging in the book of Acts. You've just been through 70 slides and an hour and 33 minutes of review. Tonight, our pastors are not going to summarize the review of the review. <laughs> we're not going to throw any more slides up on the screen, and we're not turning into any more passages of Scripture. You know what we're going to do? Now at the very end of Acts, having told you from the beginning that we would reverse the road from Jerusalem to Rome, we're going to begin to intercede as our pastors lead us for our team that is currently in Rome, praying and looking to see how God might set a path for us to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. Amen. So stand to your feet and our pastors will begin to lead us. Come on, raise your hands, church. Mighty God, we thank you for your sovereignty that is on display. Lord, as we've been speaking about reversing the road from Israel to Italy, Lord, with our brothers now literally in the air moving towards Italy, that that road may be reversed all the way back to Jerusalem itself. God, we lift up our brothers. We lift up the Stevens family. We lift up the Masses now. God, that you, this has been in your heart from the beginning of time. You have purpose. You were looking for men. You were looking for churches that would be willing to not only say, but they would do and then teach what your great plan has been. Mighty one, we pray and we lift up. We cry out for your provision for your power, for your supernatural touch to be upon the Massey family, to be upon the Stevens, to be upon a rising church, to be on life-changing ministries as collectively we begin the Balkan bow, even now, Lord. Lord, direct their feet. Lord, let difficulties, even mistakes, Lord, be part of your divine hand that leads them exactly where they must go. Give them visions and dreams like that of the Macedonian man that will order and ordain their steps in their pathway, mighty one. God, we are crying out to you on their behalf. 
Lord, that your great deeds would be seen in these lives, and that together we would see your will accomplished in each life. Oh, come on, church. Lift it up in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us the ability to walk in the reality of the book of Acts in our midst. Hallelujah. Lord, to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we have spent months digging into your word to see how it is done. Lord, we pray right now that a door be open in yes. us. Lord, there be an exact location that you magnify. Amen. Direct the steps of these men, the Massey family, the Stevens, to that spot on earth that you choose for ministry to flow out from. Lord, there would be connections, relationships, and established partnerships that your divine hand would magnify. Lord, we pray that your words be put inside of their mouths. Lord, at the smallest thing of a coffee shop and all the way into an impromptu meeting in a town square. Lord, let your spirit hover over them and lead them. Let the book of Acts continue through them, mighty God. And in the churches that are here in the U.S., may the men, women, and families rise in Hallelujah! Return. 